Bible or a phone or some device, you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, we, we have the tendency, most of the time we are preaching through a book of Scripture, just chapter by chapter. Um, we recently finished Ecclesiastes and are now transitioning into Luke. I don't know about for you. I know for me that's been a harder juxtaposition than I anticipated going from Ecclesiastes to Luke. Um, but, but enjoying that, we try to alternate between an Old Testament and a New Testament book. The desire being right that all of God's Word um, is true, and all of it speaks, and all of it has been given to us for life and godliness, and that we need it. And so we want to trust that God um, is working and moving in us and through us, through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, if, you, if you're familiar with Luke 2, um, you'll know it's the, the birth announcement of Jesus, I am not so clever as to have landed a baby dedication, child dedication, and this on the same Sunday. Um, you probably think I'm lying. We didn't plan that. Um, but it, we, it's, it's fun to see how the Lord orchestrates things. Um, that, that, and so if there's ever a Sunday where you come in and your sin is in the text, bright and before you, and you feel like someone's ratted you out, like it's the Holy Spirit that ratted you out, right? It's not, it's not someone's telling, cause the, and that's one of the benefits of, of preaching this way. Um, remember, Luke is, was written in the mid-60s. Um, it's written in conjunction with Acts. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, it's got a sequel to it. It's one book, and it's, it's trying to write an orderly account from basically the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, through the early church um, in, the, in the first generation after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And it's trying to write an orderly account to explain the story to Theophilus and to the audience who are reading it so that they would have um, certainty and steadiness in the midst of turmoil and strife and struggle and why were Judaism and, and Christianity butting heads at this time. And Luke is trying to just kind of write this orderly account for us to give us certainty. And Luke's got a long um, initial runway, right? 80 verses in chapter 1. Um, 50 plus verses, 52 verses in chapter 2. And, and there's an element of it for us, I think, where we often, we've probably really looked at chapters 1 and chapter 2 only at Christmas time, um, and, and only as an overview, right? Where we're like, okay, well, here's John the Baptist, here's Jesus, they're born, Jesus is superior to John the Baptist, now let's get on with it. And, and, and there's a danger sometimes in thinking we're so familiar with the text or an idea in Scripture that we don't really look at it. And so that's why we spent four weeks just getting through chapter 1. And I, listen, I feel the same kind of antsy, like, come on, let's, let's get into the life of Jesus. Um, and yet this is significant, and it's important. Um, I, I've had conversations over um, the last 20 years with folks who maybe grew up in church or around church, and then they get to adulthood. And they have, they're like, I'm not sure that I understand baptism. I'm not sure if I quite understand, like, what's, what's the significance of the Lord's Supper, right? These things that on the one hand feel familiar and basic, and on the other hand are rich and wrought with meaning. And they're not sure they can ask a question anymore because it's like, well, haven't you been around the church for a long time? And so want, it's really important for us not to presume or assume things. Um, and so we're going to look this morning at a passage that you've probably mostly spent um, time in at Christmas. Um, in Luke 2, in the birth of Jesus. And so let's read the first seven verses. In those days, 
a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she, wrapped to her, and, she, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so what I want us to just begin with this morning is seeing that Luke is rooting this story, right? As he's trying to lay out an orderly account of what took place, he's rooting it in history, right? Like he's putting it in a time and a place, and he's naming names and places and so he introduces us to Caesar Augustus. Um, and you can go study Caesar in history, Augustus. Um, he was the great nephew to Julius Caesar, right? He was born in 63 B.C. Um, in 31 B.C., he had a battle with Mark Anthony, right? And they kind of both battled for who would be the next Caesar. And he wins. In 27 B.C., he's named, you know, the, the Caesar. And he would then live and rule until 14 A.D., when he died. He's known for peace, right? Like he was one, one of his quotes was, I inherited a Rome that was brick by brick, like it had been destroyed, there had been civil war, strife, battles, and he said, I left it in marble. Like, it looks nice, right? And he's the one that built the forum. And so he was known um, for, for peace, for, for building projects. He is deified a lot. You can find a lot of quotes that sound like they're talking about Jesus but they're talking about Caesar Augustus, right? About what he ushered in and the good news that he heralded because that he was deified. He was, he was worshipped. Then we see Quinarius, who was kind of a, a, a more of a, a lower-level leader, but a, a regional leader, governor of Syria. We know that he was appointed in 12 B.C., right? That he died in 21 A.D. That he's known for being a really good administrator and soldier, and what Luke is doing is this, is he's saying this story has roots and it has depth and we can place it. It is not a once upon a time story. It's not a, in those days, it's in a place, in a time, in a setting, in a context, because this story is real. And he tells us, right, that there's a census. This was the first registration, the first census. Uh, Quinarius had another one in 680 that you'll read about in Acts 5 where there was some difficulty around it. When he says the whole world, he's saying the whole known Roman Empire. Like they're called to go back to their hometowns so they can be registered, so they can basically pay taxes. The Jews would not have been being brought into the military, which would have been something happening in some of the regions. But they're, they're being reminded that they have an overlord, right? That there's an authority over them. And so although they're obedient to it, it's also a reminder that they're not ruling themselves. And so it's interesting that we see this kind of interweaving of both mundane human events and divine events happening. That Rome, who would have said, we are the great power of the world, who can challenge us, is dictating. And, and right, like there's some power in saying, hey, you've got to go home and register to me. And people just do it. Like everyone just does it. Because you're in control and yet that God is using Rome and their desire to do this, right, to bring about his, like we're seeing who's actually sovereign. 
who's actually controls that God is orchestrating and doing this. Um, and, and, and so sometimes when we look at human events, we're not sure like what's really at play. How much is, of this is significant? And how much of this is just day-to-day? Um, so in February, three years ago, uh, Carmen was pregnant with Janner. He was due the first week of March. Um, he and Gianna were supposed to be born like a day apart. Um, and here we are about three weeks before, um, and it was Valentine's Day. Carmen had a doctor's appointment. And we had brought in, um, we had a, a potential church planner. His name was Joe Gunther, and Audra was his wife. They were living um, in Merkel, Texas. And because they're in a small town, and they were thinking, we want to plant a small town church, right? We want to go somewhere and do that. They had gotten connected with us. And they were going to come spend the weekends of uh, February 14th, 15th, 16th here in Tampa and hang out with us. And uh, some of y'all were going to have a meal with them. Some of you were going to host, right? Like we were, that's what we're going to do. We want to be a part of church planning. And February 14th comes, and the doctor tells Carmen, yeah, you're going to have, like, you've got to stay in the hospital. Like, something's off. And Janner makes a surprise, unexpected um, appearance that night. Ends up in NICU, right? And so, like, I, I was on my way to Amarillo. Um, we're trying to figure out what's going on, let parents know. I'm getting the kids situated, and I called Joe, and I'm like, hey, so you're supposed to be coming. You probably shouldn't come, because we're having a baby, and I don't, I don't really know what's happening. Um, and, and so then I, I leave Joe right on the phone, say goodbye, and I move on to, to dealing with what's before me. Well, that Sunday, I actually, you can judge me if you want, I came to church that Sunday. Carmen was in the hospital, but everything was fine, um, and... Um, I, I'm standing in here, and Joe walks in. They had gone ahead and driven over, like several hours to be here. And their hope was just to kind of blend in that morning, see what it was like, see if this was something they wanted to be a part of or might do. Um, and they showed up. And so th- there was a part of me that's like, man, like this was supposed to, like I'm excited and ecstatic that my wife and my child are healthy and whole and okay. And I was also hoping to, to be a part of this. And it felt like, why did these things miss in that way? Um, here's why I bring that story up this morning is just kind of the interweaving of, of human events and divine events. Was the Lord stirred something in Joe and Audra then? And they are planning a church. And this morning is their first service. And they're in Hutto, Texas, having, like right now, they're meeting for the first time. Um, this brother um, who didn't end up in Pampa, but has developed a relationship and is connected with us and wants to, to be a part of what the Lord is doing. And so we have. Um, Redeemer Hutto is starting this morning. And just the, the interweaving of these events where you don't always know, right, like what the Lord is doing, and sometimes you feel like you're missing. And so here we have this young couple, Mary and Joseph, who are being dictated and driven by Rome back to their hometown, 70 miles away from where they live, right? Basically nine months pregnant. And what the Lord is doing is He's fulfilling prophecy. This is from Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, 
in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Like this promise hundreds of years earlier, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, right? And now we have Mary, who's not living in Bethlehem, who's about to have a baby, right? Who's been promised to be the Messiah, and the Lord is orchestrating her to Bethlehem. That his, that his word would come true, that we would see when God speaks, it happens. That He is faithful to His Word, and it comes to be. And so if you feel small this morning, if you feel like dictated to, whether it's by institutions, governments, um, employers, God sees, and He's working and maneuvering circumstances in your life for your good and for His glory. You can trust that He is ultimately the one who is in control, even though we have governments and institutions and people who believe they are. God is. He is sovereign, and He is faithful, and He can be trusted this morning. And so, I think often as we look at, at Luke 2, we can kind of sanitize it a little bit of like, yeah, Mary and Joseph and a baby, and it's Jesus, and let's sing. Can you imagine being away from home? Mary's a teenager. Joseph is um, they both have had angelic encounters. Joseph is, I mean, I, I, you think about having a baby when you're not the one delivering it, there's still this, this kind of a surreal nature to it, right? Where you're like kind of freaking out. And like, what am I supposed to do? And where do I, where do I go? And what do I, like, like, can you imagine Joseph, like what his scene would have looked like that night is, is he's going, we're having a baby. And I think it's the Messiah, but it's a baby, and we haven't done this before. And like there would have been fear and panic, anticipation and excitement, probably a level of, of just surrealness, like the legitimate question of what do I do because I haven't done this before. Um, and probably some, honestly some nagging concern for reputation still. Right? It, Luke mentions that it's his betrothed. Um, the reason he says that is like there was an engagement period, and he's basically saying they haven't consummated the marriage. Right? Like that this is going to be a virgin birth. That he has taken her because of how close she was to being due. Um, and then Luke is just showing us an, an initial contrast that's going to be prevalent throughout the, the, the Gospel of Luke between Rome and Jesus. We start in verse 1 with the idea of Caesar, Augustus, the opulence that the people would have come to with Rome, with power, with prestige, with money, with reputation with all the things, all that money could buy in the world. And then we have, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Like those are bookend on purpose. Opulence, power, might, and the promise of peace with, with simplicity and humility, right? And a promise of eternal reign and rule and peace. We'll see that contrast more and more as it builds throughout Luke. Let's pick up in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, and they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so we have now our third angelic interaction so far in Luke. Right? We've had Zechariah, and now we've had Mary, and we have the same kind of response right, from the shepherds of, I see angels, I'm terrified, they tell me not to be terrified, and then give me a sign of what they're doing. Right? That they have this same response. And so Luke is helping us see, as he's kind of weaving these stories together, John, remember last week, his birth was glorious. The neighbors and family are celebrating it. They're pondering, like, what is God doing? Like, is this the forerunner of the Messiah? They're asking those questions. And what we're seeing here is neighbors and friends um, celebrated and rejoiced with Elizabeth having a child. Here we have the heavens rejoicing. And Luke is not in any regard um, trying to like lower how we view John the Baptist. He's just saying Jesus is superior. That as good as John is, Jesus is the Son of God. He is superior. And the heavens are going to declare and they're going to speak and they're going to affirm who He is and what's going on. John's birth right, is for Israel. We see here in verse 10 that Jesus is, is more universal than that. Right? When we're told, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? There's already this sense of this is going to get bigger and go further than, than, than what we might anticipate. And so, last week as we ended chapter 1, I want to remind you of a couple of verses. Verse 78 and 79. As Zechariah is prophesying, he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, like this idea of light coming into darkness because of God's mercy, to give light to those who sit in darkness and shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This prophecy about the Messiah coming to bring us out of darkness and into light. And here in Luke 2, we have the shepherds out in the, in the darkness of the night working and then breaking forth right light. As the angels come, right, you can imagine the contrast of, hey, we're having a pretty normal night taking care of the sheep. That's different. And I'm terrified. And then the angels begin to engage them the angel engages them, and then the heavenly host comes and sings, and we're meant to see this deep contrast between God breaking forth and rejoicing because the, the light has been born, and it's come in darkness. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed... And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
right? Luke has taken us back to these, the, like, the, the, like the cloud of God that would come over Israel in Exodus, like Exodus 16.10. And here being told, like the glory of God is being revealed and we're going to be able to see it because Jesus has been born, Emmanuel, God with us. And so the angels break forth in darkness with great light. Why is this significant? Because in John 1, in that gospel, we're told that the light came into the world. People didn't recognize it. Right? John 3.19 tells us that people loved the darkness more than the light. Listen to this. It says, and this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That the light has broken forth and the response to that, right, is that you realize that you're captured, right, that you're in darkness, that you're in need, and so you're grateful because the light means rescue is here, salvation is here, hope is here, or you scramble for the darkness because you like it, and you don't want the light to expose what you're doing. Look back to verse 79. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Like we're in darkness and death is on the doorsteps and we're in need of rescue, our feet to be guided to peace. And Caesar Augustus is not the one who's going to do it, Jesus is. And the light has, has broken forth and God is doing this. You go down to verse 18 in chapter 2. We see that the crowds who would hear from the shepherds in the immediate aftermath and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Right? You, you, what you see here is intrigue. Like, interesting. I'll think about that. There was not necessarily an immediate response of belief. Maybe some of them would believe. Some think it's interesting. Some it's drama. Some of it's, it's gossip. Right? There, it's intrigue, but it's not necessarily worship and belief. That all who see the gospel break forth, all who hear it aren't going to respond and belief. Let's look at verse 20. But the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So our attention is drawn to the shepherds. These lowly members of society in comparison with Caesar Augustus who we started with, like just these gritty folks who didn't belong, who were on the outskirts of society who are on the margins of society like the, the gospel we're already being given like a foreshadowing that it's going to set things on its head that, that, the, that the new king didn't show up in the Roman forum to be celebrated in worship right in opulence but in humility and in simplicity to the outcast of society listen church we we have to understand, and some of you have felt like this way, maybe you still feel this way, there's a sense that people will say, I don't belong here. And they don't necessarily mean Redeemer, they just mean around the things of God, around the church. Like, I don't belong. We don't belong, and yet we've been invited in. We do belong. Right? Like, like there's a sense of, we're not enough, we're not sufficient, and that sense is, it should be right. But immediately then we're told there's grace and mercy and love because we've been invited in, not because we're cleaned up, not because we're good, not because we've got everything figured out, but because God is loving and gracious and the light has broke forth 
to rescue those sitting in darkness at the edge of death. It is good news for all of us. It's not just good news for them. It is good news for us, for all of us, because we've all been sitting in darkness. We've all been sitting at the edge of death. People have to know that they have a place of belonging where they are welcome, and we need to be aware that that, that the enemy lies because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy in whispers in folks' ears, even when they walk in the room. You don't belong here. They're different than you. They're better than you. They're going to judge you. You've heard those lies. That we would know that people don't feel like they belong, and yet the gospel breaks forth, and it's the margins and the gritty in society that are being told first, come and see the new king. Come and have good news and worship and hear and see. The second thing is this, that a Savior is here. Savior in, in the Old Testament was someone who brought rescue, who defended you, delivered you from your enemies. Right? We have enemies. We have death. We have Satan. We have our own sin. We're ultimately, we're the enemies of God apart from Jesus. But our Savior has stepped forth, right? In verse 11. For unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. One who will rescue us. The peace that the world offers is deficient. The peace that Caesar Augustus was offering is not sufficient. It, it, maybe it's, it's peaceful now and you live in a harmonious life, and yet you're still opposed to God. Listen, the, the, the greatest need in Ukraine today isn't just peace, that's a need, but it's peace with God as well. It's hope for after this life as well that is transformative, that puts us at peace with God and our Savior, Jesus, who is born here. The good news and the hope is, is that He has stepped into darkness to bring us into the light, to take us back to the Father to make things right. A peace that is eternal and lasting. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians as we continue to just think about the contrast between Rome and Jesus. This is chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that, by, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Jesus steps into human history, poor, simple, and humble, having left eternity in heaven where He had everything to make us rich to make us rich in Christ, to give us peace with God so that we can be adopted sons and fathers, adopted sons and daughters of the King, to have a seat at the table, to belong. He's, and, and so Luke is already showing us that, that he doesn't step in in opulence and say, look at me. He steps in humility to say, I'm taking you back to where you belong. I'm taking you back to the Father who has all and will hold nothing from you for everything you need for life and godliness. And so this morning, as we kind of wrap up, I want us to think about the response of the shepherds. So they responded with obedience, right? Immediately, right? They're, they're told this is what's happened, and they go, let's go see. Let's go, let's go confirm that this has happened. Let's go find this child. Let's go celebrate and worship. That there was joy, that they quickly moved about, that there was obedience. Then they immediately were just telling people, like you can imagine hey, um, can you believe what happened to us? Like, 
doing our jobs, angels, babies, like, 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 and, and like you can just imagine like people are like, what's been going on out in the field? Like, you don't seem okay, and yet there's just joy, and people are pondering what is being told to them because they are worshiping. I, I love verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They knew that God could be believed and trusted because what the angels said had happened, the sign was confirmed, and now they're just celebrating and worshiping and waiting to see what the Lord does next. So for us, one of the themes of Luke is going to be joy. Are we joyous at what God has done? Are we joyous at the fact that He has rescued us? That He has not left us sitting in darkness at the doorstep of death? That He has broken forth and done what we could not do to rescue us, to be our Savior, to deliver us from our enemies? And so, are we telling, hey, you know what God's done? It's incredible. And not only has He done it like historically, He's done it for me. He's delivered me from my enemies. right? He's delivered me out of my darkness. He's made me His. That we're telling what He's done and what He's done for us because His glory is looking to fill the earth because He is worthy of worship. And so the shepherds have the right idea. They are worshiping because what they've seen is true and they're going to they're be obedient to it. And so the call for us as we walk through Luke is going to be when we start to see, hey, here's what obedience looks like as we follow Jesus that we'll understand that that is worship. And so here in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to worship with our mouths and our minds and our hearts and sing true things back to God, glorifying and praising Him for what He's done and what He's doing and what He will do. And we see that as worship. But then we're going to walk out of this place in the way that we then interact, the way that we spend our money, the way that we think about things, the way that we um, walk in holiness, Right is worship as well. We don't then like just postpone worship till next Sunday. All of life is worship because we're trusting and following and depending on Jesus, or we're doing it in our own self, which is not pleasing, honoring, or glorifying to God. Verse eleven tells us that today is the day of salvation. Right, front to you is born this day. It's not a future thing anymore. It's now. It has happened, and salvation is available. And the good shepherd, when he calls your name, he says, come and know me and trust me and taste and see that I am good. You have a seat at the table not based on your merit, but based on mine. The last thing is this. We picture Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lay, laying in a, like a humble trough. He would be wrapped again. Right? He's going to get wrapped in death shroud. And just as he would not stay a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he would live the life that we're meant to live, he would go to the cross and die the death that we deserved and would be wrapped again. That those wouldn't hold him either. And that he is alive today. He has been resurrected. He he was seen again in, in like the 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 New Testament authors will put us in historical context. He was seen, and here's who he was seen by. And then he ascended to heaven, and he's alive today. He sees you. He cares for you. He loves you. 
He knows you. He knows your fears and your doubts and your sin and the stuff that's hidden. He knows the darkness that you're currently sitting in. And He is calling you out of it. Because He's defeated our enemies. He has delivered us. And so we celebrate that Jesus has come and we are waiting for the day where He will return once again for His people. So we're going to look at and study the life of Jesus, but not merely as a historical document so we can know some more facts, but that we can walk in faithful, glorifying obedience and worship as the shepherds did once they were confronted with the truth and the beauty and the light that entered the world. That's where we're headed. And even this morning, would you hear the call of salvation that you can trust and know Jesus? Let's pray. Father, would you guard our hearts from looking at familiar stories and shutting our, our ears, our brains, our hearts off, assuming we know it, that there's, there's no new intrigue. God, would we be blown away by the fact that your light has broken forth, that you have come for us and that you've done it in humility and in simplicity, and we are the beneficiaries of it. God, that this story has been passed on for 2,000 years now, and we have now been tasked to recount it to our friends and neighbors and families and children and grandchildren and those around us to the ends of the earth so that they will have it and know you and so that they can pass it on until the day where you split the sky and return for your people. God, we want to celebrate that you have come for us and that we know God because of it. And Lord, that your promises will come true. Lord, would you speak? Would you reveal? God, would we confess areas of, of lack of belief and of, of sin this morning? And would we walk in humility with you? In Jesus' name, amen.